Well, staying on the stage three tax cuts, I think it's safe to say that you and I have both broken promises before. But why did you do it? And was it for the right reasons? I mean, fairness really can be a rather subjective thing when its very definition belies a kind of objective impartiality. Are Labor's changes to stage three tax cuts fair? Is it fair that the government appears to have broken an election promise? Is it fair to change your mind and adjust yourself to the uh, current economic conditions? Text me. I'd love to hear from you. Join the conversation. 0418 uh, Lots of uh, texts on the text line. Emma in Newcastle says, Promises, as with secrets, ought never to be uttered. Uh, this one too, I totally agree with the modifications to the stage three tax cuts, which would have made Australia more unequal. That's from um, Diana in Mount Waverley. And this one too, from Anne in West Footscray in Victoria. I'm so pleased with the reboot tax relief package. It's much fairer, a uh, redistribution of the cuts that was formally proposed by the former government. Take a listen to this. This is uh, how one high income earner felt about the uh, Labor, uh, Labor's decision on stage three tax cuts. Hi, my name's Joanne. I live in Sydney. I'm a chartered accountant and today I'm probably a loser if we're looking at these tax cuts. I'm a high income earner, more than $200,000 a year. I do own more than one property. One of those properties I was considering selling in the next 12 months and I had deliberately decided I would probably wait till after the 1st of July to take advantage of my $9,000 tax cut. Well, of course, this morning I realised I've now only got a $4,500 tax cut, so I guess that's why I'm a loser. However, there's a big but here. I'm also the parent of six children who are between the ages of 28 and 36. And that cohort, in my family at least, they're actually winners from today's announcement. And I think that is the cohort in our population that really does need some assistance with cost of living crises. They're the ones that, if they're lucky enough, have been able to get into a property but still have big mortgages. Uh, people of my age, most of us don't tend to have mortgages. So I think, yeah, personally, not good for me, but overall, I think good for my family. And in particular, I think it's probably good for the population as a whole. There you go. Lots of nuance there from Joanne, at least, who earns $200,000 a year. Uh, she's okay with that. What about you? 0418 Shane Wright is a senior economics correspondent for The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. G'day, Shane. G'day, Andy. Really enjoyed your piece yesterday, which really went to this issue about the decisions that the government's made, the calculations, if, if you like. Uh, is the government banking on the Joannes, who we just heard for, from in this country when making this decision? How many high-income earners will actually give the government political pushback on this? Oh, there'd be a fair few high-income earners uh, who give pushback, but in raw political terms, they, there's just not as many of them. They're living, many of them are living in Zali Stegall's electorate, or they're living in Anthony Albanese's electorate, where he's sitting on a huge margin at the moment. This is more aimed at, say, the voters in Dunkley, who are much more likely to be benefit from these changes, um, and particularly, say... I think the biggest, the actual biggest winners in terms of the share of their overall income are people earning between 100 and 140,000, of which there is a large number of those, uh, who were 
not going to be nearly as well off uh, under the original stage three. The federal government, uh, sorry, the federal opposition leader, Peter Dutton, says if the government wants to make such a big change, then it should be put to an election. What are your thoughts on that? Should a a broken election promise, and I just want to be clear, I'm not using and I've never used the word liar, Uh, that's not my term, but it's fair to say that this is an election promise. Should that trigger an election? Well, I I believe Peter Dutton, if he actually outlined his uh, policy agenda and said, and because the the opposition has said like we we think the government is spending too much, but have never outlined what they were planning on cutting. So he, so it's a lot of political rhetoric there because uh, he knows. As in Albanese is not about to run off and have an election, and I think voters might be a bit perturbed um, and about having to go to another election so soon after, say, the uh, voice referendum to fight it on one issue over tax and be careful what you want for, because this is ultimately the, the political calculus is about 12 winners for every one loser out of this whole package. So that's there's the political the politics of it there's the economics of it and then there's the the integrity of the tax system which also has to be a part of this whole debate and that's what you were writing about yesterday john howard's iron law of arithmetic it really is a, a logical approach when uh, you understand it through the terms that you spoke in. Shane Wright is a senior economics correspondent for The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. We're talking about the government's decision to change these stage three tax cuts 21 minutes past four. There's a lot of uh, reminding, uh, talking about Howard, of the core and non-core promises on the text line, Shane. Lots of people willing to point out uh, the LNP and their track record on housing and tackling cost of living. Uh, really, when when in your memory has the public previously forgiven a government for an election promise and breaking it? Uh, I'm trying to remember a, a government that hasn't broken a promise somewhere along the line and uh, even going back to uh, Edmund Barton, I don't think you can find one that hasn't broken a promise somewhere along the line. That, that It is part and parcel of politics, not just in this country but everywhere. Um, so that's... That's one element. The most interesting aspect of this one is that unlike, say, the LAW law tax cut broken promise of Paul Keating uh, and uh, Tony Abbott's promise of no cuts to health and education, this one is a broken promise that actually gives more money to people. So that is my my colleague, political colleague David Crow has made this point. It's an interesting one that, unlike other broken promises, people aren't worse off after this one. They actually are ahead, and now I think that's a really important element, uh, which both sides of politics understand. That fighting an argument over a broken promise uh, is something else. I, I someone a colleague described it as mum and dad promised to take me to the swimming pool, but they actually broke that promise and took me to wet and wild. <laughs> now, would you be happy with that aspect or not? This is this is sort of the description that's going on. Well, that does paint uh, the uh, average Australian as a, a petulant teenager not getting what they want. Um, this idea that the government, the Labor was dragged to the last election uh, on a consensus point uh, over stage three tax cuts. Is there any thought in your mind that perhaps they knew exactly what you said back then, that they could bend the rules because ultimately you're giving people more money in their pockets. It's a sort of promise that you can break without too much uh, political capital lost. Well, they they made no secret of the fact that they weren't happy with this. But um, the fact that they've got to this point 
I don't. I don't think it was ever on the mind, and even uh, the whole discourse last year and even the year before was about sticking with this promise. But you've got to the situation of the confluence of high interest interest rates, high inflation, and an, a near record tax take out of individuals that has left people, particularly those under 100,000, particularly those under 45,000 who were going to get nothing out of stage three in a real dire financial situation. And you're seeing that. You're seeing that through charities, for instance. You're seeing that about uh, calls to uh, to not just charities, but to service centres and to mental health officials. There is a... The, the current situation is effectively untenable. So, the government can't spend can't go out and spend a lot more in the next two or three months that would add to inflation, which would add to higher interest rates. So what's the biggest thing standing in the way? There's twenty one, twenty two billion dollars worth of worth of tax cuts kicking in from July one. That's the way that we can probably deal uh, with not just say cost of living, but just listening to Zali Stegel talking about bracket creep. The government is maintaining, and we've seen the Treasury advice saying bracket creep is a bigger issue for people in the low income earners, uh, like between who are who are going to see a cut from 19% to 16%. They are actually suffering the worst bracket creep, not the ones over 200,000. So they've deliberately found a way to deal with bracket creep for more people than perhaps uh, most people have thought about in this issue. Uh, Shane Wright, always a pleasure. Shane's a senior economics correspondent for The Age in the Sydney Morning Herald. Good afternoon to you. Cheers, Andy.